Thanks for joining us today for the Anchor Daily. We are reading through the books of Acts, learning about the early church and the unstoppable power of the gospel. Listen close as we dive deep into Luke's and Paul's accounts. Well, how are things today, Bethel? This is Derek, one of your Richland campus elders. Uh, there's a cliche, I don't know if you've heard it before, but if you kept track of every time that a pastor says, oh, wow, this is my favorite book of the Bible, like throughout their entire life, <laughs> that they would have probably said that about every single book of the Bible. Uh, it's a funny thing to keep track of, but I think the reality is that whatever book any of us is reading at the moment should be our favorite because the God of heaven and earth is using that book in that moment to speak directly to us. That reality should make that book at that time our absolute favorite. And I say that as a preamble just to say, man, Colossians may be my favorite book of the Bible. I'll be with you today and tomorrow as we look a little deeper into these four chapters from Paul to the church in Colossae. Now, as Angie mentioned yesterday, this is a letter written by Paul to a group of people who had actually never met. But Paul had appointed his good friend Epaphras years ago to pastor that church. And while Paul was in jail, Epaphras had brought a report to him about what was happening in the church. It was mostly a positive report from his friends. So Paul was really encouraged to hear the stories as he states multiple times throughout this letter. But there were a couple of warning signs that Epaphras also mentioned to Paul that he addresses in this letter. There were some false teachings that had worked their way into the church, not by Epaphras, but by some other teachers who were instructing the people. Uh, So though Paul never states directly what those false teachings were, we see that the church felt like they needed something in addition to Jesus in order to live this life well. And I find that the letter to Colossians is extremely encouraging as we see how Paul gently corrects the Colossian church by reminding them about the person of Jesus. Let's get into it, shall we? See, right off the bat, Paul introduces himself, greets the people, and then grounds how we are to read this entire letter. In chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. While it's common for Paul to begin most of his letters in the New Testament this way, I don't think these words are are words that we should rush by or that we should overlook. See, Paul will be communicating encouragement, correction, instruction to the people all throughout this letter, but it's only by the grace of God and his peace that any of it can fall on their hearts or our hearts in a way that moves us to truly affect our lives. We need his grace. Another way of saying that is that we need to receive his power from outside of us right at the beginning, all the way through this letter and for the rest of our lives. The only way that any of this will make any sense is if we see all of this as the grace of God and not our own doing. In fact, we see this truth in Paul's language here in chapter 1 as he is giving thanks and praying over the church. If you look at chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, he says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God 
in truth. Here, Paul is thankful that the gospel, that's a shorthand way of saying the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and who we are as a result of what he has done for us. That the gospel is what is going through the world and bearing fruit. It's not us who possess big enough brains to finally understand the gospel, but rather the gospel is grabbing us. This takes pride out of saying, look what I know or what I have accomplished. And it acknowledges that we are powerless to move unless the gospel captures us and not the other way around. We don't grab a hold of it. It grabs a hold of us and radically changes our lives. And as I count here in these first two chapters of Colossians, there's no less than four places where Paul explicitly states what the gospel is. If you look in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he says it plainly. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is who we are because of Jesus. Does Paul think the Colossians have never heard this before? I don't think so. But as life goes on, as we are tempted to look at and believe other things, we need frequent reminders of this incredible truth. See, the only way we can fight against believing false truths is by remembering who we are because of Jesus and how incredible he is. In fact, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 are one of the most beautiful places in the entire Bible for us to sit back and allow the greatness of Jesus to wash over us. I encourage you to read it, to dwell on it, maybe even memorize it, as I'm doing with with my small group of high schoolers on a weekly basis. The more we are enamored or awe or even giddy in love with the incredible Jesus, the less false teachings will appeal or be desirable to us. We would do well to spend more time contemplating Jesus as Paul is helping the Colossians do right here. So then it's, Paul gets around to talking about these false teachings in the back half of chapter two, false teachings that said the people needed to add traditions or they needed to eat or drink the right things or add these rules or laws so that they could live by their own ability in addition to the power of Jesus. See verses eight through 22 for more on that. But he ends it this way in verse 23. He says that these things have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Wow, no value? I mean, we can try and follow every piece of the law. We can add layers of accountability to try to get us to stop sinning. But Paul says here that none of it will work. The external guardrails can't stop our hearts from sinning. But that is why Paul spent a chapter and a half previously talking about Jesus and the gospel. It is only when our hearts are captured by him that he changes our hearts, that our desires change to want to follow him. Now, this will be a lifelong process, and and we, just like the Colossian church, need reminders about this good news again and again. I hope that I can do that for you today and that you have a group of people around you 
who will remind you of that on a regular basis. This is why at Bethel, we encourage you to be a part of a small group, to have people telling you the gospel regularly. Man, friends, I I love this letter from Paul to the Colossian church. So would you join me tomorrow as we dive into chapters three and four and see how what started in grace will also end in that same grace? Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for using Paul to tell the Colossians about Jesus. Would you allow me and the others at Bethel to just dwell in that beautiful word today? In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Listen tomorrow as we encourage each other through God's word. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so because we would love to continue to grow with you. We'd also like a chance to connect further with you. If you go to Bethel.ch, you can find all sorts of ways to serve, worship, and learn together.